This episode of Today on Broadway is supported by Heartbeat Opera. If you're a fan of Shakespeare, opera, or drag queens, or all of the above, then you don't want to miss the Heartbeat Opera's upcoming show. The indie opera company called Bold and Vivid by the New York Times returns for their annual Halloween drag extravaganza. This year's theme, All the World's a Drag, Shakespeare in Love with Opera. Join Heartbeat Opera for a fun night of eye-popping Elizabethan fashion, dazzling musical performances, and Halloween revelries. The show returns for just two nights, October 30th and 31st, at the National Sawdust in Brooklyn. Tickets on sale now at heartbeatopera.org. Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, October 26th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, I want to get this out of the way because I know we have to talk about it, but I don't really want to. I'm just so over all of these things. But Halloween? yesterday, the New York. No, 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 no. Halloween is fine. We'll deal with that next week. But um, yesterday, the New York Times reported that former theater agent Roland Scahill, I believe is his name, um, was sentenced to six months in jail. Remember, we've talked about this before. He's the guy who got a bunch of investors to give him hundreds of thousands of dollars because he said that he had arranged uh, the rights to the life story of opera singer Kathleen Battle, and he was going to produce a one-woman show starring Lupita Nyong'o. None of that was true. He'd never done either of those things, and he just took the money. Um, He's going to jail. I just, I mean, I don't understand how he thought he could have gotten away with that, but... Whatever. I felt like we had to talk about it, even though I didn't really want to. Yeah, I can appreciate that. But I, there's got to be more to this story. Uh, I, maybe he was thinking after he got the money, he could convince the Kathleen Battle people and Lupita Nyong'o to do it. I don't, I don't know. Because right, certainly you got to figure that there's just no way you can get out of that. You would think, especially because he's somebody who was a theater agent. So he works in the community. I mean, he's not like he's just not some random fraudster, but he was also doing he was all if you remember, man, I see. I said I didn't want to talk about this, but um, he'd also said that he'd already had a contract with Netflix to film it and put it on Netflix. And he'd already secured the booth theater. So, I mean, these aren't like, oh, I know what he's doing. He's, he's, I don't do it. I know what you're going to (laughs) say. Let's see how well you know me. What what was I going to say? It's the, it's that stupid book where you say something and you put it into the world. Um, Oh, the, the no. Oprah thing? The Oprah thing? The, yeah, uh, the Oprah thing. Called? What is that? It's, uh, the vision. Like it starts no, with a P. The... Like a, with a P. I don't uh, know. Whatever. Uh, we're not the demographic for that, I guess. But... <laughs> that, okay, so that's not what you were going to say. What were you going to say? Uh, I, I was going to say he maybe he was looking for some sort of cabinet position in the Trump administration. <sighs> in that uh, case, he would have... He would have gotten a government the job and then uh, the given a big the secret. That's the it. Very secret. good. Um, yeah, if, if that were the case, he would have gotten a government job and then financed the production through a small hometown company <laughs> that had only two employees. But anyway, I don't. I mean, this whole thing is just weird. Like we've seen a lot of these weird things going on, not on stage. We see a lot of weird casting stuff all the time, but a lot of these weird financial producing things going on in the theater and i mean i know it's part of the business and i'm sure there's way more creepy things that have gone on in the past that we just never heard about but 
just whatever. I mean, like, if you're going to do something like this, at least do it with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick and, you know, sing and dance about it. I'm going to do a first in Broadway radio history. Ready? Okay. <laughs> we shall never speak of this again. All right, that was very Keith Oberman of you. <laughs> I, I wish I could get that whole Rachel Maddow <laughs> that she does in yeah. the, in the, the flipping of yeah, the pages. It, yeah, very good. All right. Oh, boy, we're starting out with bad news here, aren't we? First yeah, up not... in the news. Yeah. It... Go ahead. Okay. First up in the news. <laughs> uh, we're using the Cash App. Cash App. That's We're not using the other one anymore. We're just using the Cash App. Latin History for Morons cancels the f- preview performances. Yeah, this isn't like awful news like we opened the show with yesterday with Robert Guillaume, but um, John Leguizamo has canceled the last two performances of Latin History for Morons due to illness. So that's Wednesday night and Tuesday night's previews. I skipped over it yesterday because it's a one man show in preview. So I didn't think canceling one performance was that big of a deal. But the fact that he's missed two now in a row makes it a little bit more newsworthy IMO. Um, the production did say that tonight's performance, Thursday night's performance, was expected to go on as scheduled, and that all ticket holders for the canceled performances should contact their point of purchase for a refund or exchange. James, well, newsworthy, assuming Leguizamo does get healthy soon, I don't see this being an issue, especially since this is the third time he's done the show, the third production, one in California, then at the public and now on Broadway. He also wrote it, so I'm pretty sure that he's <laughs> comfortable performing it and he knows his lines. Um, but, you know, the official press night or the official opening night isn't until November 15th. So these cancellations shouldn't interfere with any reviewing press or anything. So assuming that they can get all the people who missed the performances back in or refunded, this seems not to be a huge deal, but anytime a Broadway show cancels a couple performances, even in a one-man show, it's probably worth discussing. Um, I don't know. Uh, let me... Uh, I'm checking here. Latin history for morons. Come on, computer, go a little bit faster. No understudy listed, because that would be well, the worst job in New York. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's like, you know, I, I'm sure John Lithgow doesn't have a, have an understudy for John Lithgow stories from the heart or whatever. I mean, you know, when you're doing yeah, a one no, man no. show yeah. and it's all about you and your names in the title, you kind of have to be there, you know, although I, I mean, do I think you're required to have an understudy. Of yeah. Just, that's what I was going to say. I, <laughs> I think equity requires it, but it might be one of those positions that's paid and told never yeah. tell anyone you got this job. It won't be listed anywhere. You're you got a contract. Carol Channing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, you know, that one might actually be possible, but, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, Neil Patrick Harris reportedly didn't have an understudy for Hedwig and the Angry Inch, although by equity rule, he had to have had an understudy as far as I understand, unless there was some sort of special dispensation that was given to the production. But he went on every time. He never missed a performance. Uh, but there had to be one by union rules. Uh, didn't Lena go on? Or was that just out of town? That was out of town. Lena was, but Lena was actually the scheduled alternate for Darren Chris on the first two legs of the tour. So she got one scheduled performance every week. I believe it was Sundays. Um, but she would play Yitzhak during the other performances. Then the one day that Darren Chris was not in the role, she would actually play Hedwig. So a little, there's a little different kind of situation there. All right. Uh, so. 
Drink lots of liquids, John, and uh, get, get your rest. electrolytes. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, for Halloween here in New York, it's been 70-plus uh, degree days here, so we could really wear the bikinis for the Halloween. But Well, I'm, I'm telling you, this, this weird weather y'all are having is really throwing me off on what I'm trying to pack uh, <laughs> for my trip. I went out and bought a jacket because I, I don't have a coat. Well, you know, who, who has a coat in Central Florida? Went out and bought it, and now it's in the 70s and 80s. I, I bought a coat for nothing, James. Get this global warming thing under control, please, so it'll be chilly when I'm up there so I can use my new coat. Oh, you don't have to buy coats when you come to New York. There's a whole rack when you get off the plane at JFK. You just pick up a coat, and when you uh, go back, you just leave it on the rack. And yeah, do not it's... bring any oranges because they won't make it through uh, security. Really? I didn't know oh, that's, that. That's a Florida thing when you're coming from Florida to New York. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, the uh, oof, oof. the reviews are in oof. for MTC's The Portuguese Kid. Oof is right, James. Um, <laughs> the last two sets of off-Broadway reviews that we did were really good. This one, not mm, so much. Not so much. No, The Portuguese Kid, if you didn't know, is the new comedy by Tony Pulitzer and Oscar winner John Patrick Shanley, who also directs, and it opened on Tuesday night at New York City Center via the Manhattan Theater Club. The show stars Tony winner Jason Alexander and legendary Tony nominees Sherry Renee Scott and Mary Testa. The show pre-reviews extended its mainly sold out run all the way through New Year's Eve. Now for these reviews, James. <clears throat> Jesse Green of the New York Times wrote, quote, Though I laughed when poked to do so, or when Miss Scott hurled off a terrific line reading, it was not the laughter of pleasure or recognition. It was the kind sitcom characters sometimes cough up at a mortif mortifying wedding or funeral. Ouch. Marilyn Stacio of Variety said, quote, there's a lot of professional pizzazz assembled on the Manhattan Theater Club stage for the Portuguese kid. There's a strong cast and some high end design work, but all of it is wasted on material that can't begin to measure up to the playwright's best work. Think Moonstruck. Think Doubt. Think, think outside Mullinger for Pete's sake. Whatever you do, don't think plot of which there is none. Matt Winman of AM New York said, quote, Watching a silly comedy that most of the audience appears to be enjoying, but which you find pointless, plodding, and excessively broad, can be a frustrating and bewildering experience. You wonder, why can't I get into this? Is it me, or is it the play? Based on the other reviews, it seems like, no, Matt, it's not just you. Um, I could have gone on and on, but I didn't feel like uh, piling on uh, Mr. Shanley, who is one of the best writers that we have working, or any of these cast of incredibly talented people but it just seems like james this one was not ready for prime time so to speak and this is a great example of on paper john mm -hmm. patrick shanley jason alexander sherry renee scott mary testa on paper this is going to be like oh my goodness gracious can't wait for this yeah, get the get the freedman ready for the transfer exactly all right back yeah. to the drawing board Show and casting news. What's going on? All right, James. Yesterday, the Vineyard Theater announced an extension for the new one-man play by David Kale called Harry Clark. Directed by Lee Silverman, Tony winner Billy Crudup stars in this sexually charged and wickedly funny one-man thriller. Harry Clark will now play through December 10th, and the official opening is scheduled for November 21st. James, since in the show, Crudup's character pretends to be a cocky Londoner named Harry Clark, is it safe to say that he is, in fact, a jark? <laughs> 
to. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you got that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to have to explain that joke. That's excellent. <laughs> All right. The Go-Go's musical Head Over Heels announces uh, production plans. Yeah, James, moving on from that uh, old throwback show tune reference. Uh, yesterday, an equity casting announcement went out for the Go-Go's musical Head Over Heels. The show will have auditions next week uh, for an actually two weeks, a week and a half from now, for an out-of-town tryout to be held this spring ahead of a Broadway opening in the 2018-2019 season. Directed by Michael Mayer, the show is based on a 15th century poem and will be presented in blank verse uh, and was originally conceived and written by Jeff Witte, who has since departed the project. Witte's Bring It On collaborator Tom Kitt is the music supervisor, and Spencer Liff is choreographing. James, uh, last time we talked about this show and its producer, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, people got mad at me because I had some reservations about it. So I'll just uh, leave it at that. <laughs> well, uh, you know, when I thought Go-Go's musical, I thought that perhaps uh, they were going to have auditions at some random hotel in Atlanta. All right, Anna Guest. I don't know this story. I don't know that story at all. But tell me off air. Okay. <laughs> uh, Google that. Uh, Anna Gastar joins a Christmas Story live. Uh, yeah, real quick. I'll get to that in a second. I actually met Jeff Witty in Atlanta um, at a, uh, a canceled performance of Bring It On The Musical because their original star had uh, gotten injured, so they canceled the performance. So when I heard that, I, damn it, James, I keep talking about things I say I'm not going to talk about. Um, but when Jeff Whitty comes up with the concept, writes the book, and then leaves the project, <laughs> makes you wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Anyway, sorry. Oh, long day. I can't keep myself focused on not talking about things I'm not supposed to talk about. Anyway, yes, Anna Gasteyer joins the cast of A Christmas Story live, James. Uh, the former SNL and Wicked star will be playing Mrs. Schwartz, the mother of one of Ralphie's friends. She joins Matthew Broderick, Jane, uh, Jane Krakowski, Chris Diamantopoulos, and her former SNL castmate, Maya Rudolph. Now, James, I know very little about this show, as even though I've been a longtime Pascal Paul fan back to the edges days, uh, I find the movie dreadfully dull. So I've never seen the, the the musical version, although I'm sure it's much more exciting than the boring film that they play for 24 hours on Christmas Day. So I don't really know if Mrs. Schwartz has a whole lot to do. But between you and me and the fence post and anybody else who might be eavesdropping, I wouldn't have minded if Gasteyer and Rudolph swapped roles. Uh, Maya Rudolph is great and fantastic and very funny, but she doesn't exactly have the same pipes that Gasteyer does, despite her mom being, you know, Minnie Ripperton, a, a great singer in her own right. You know, I probably would have swapped those roles if it was me. But what do I know? Fox didn't consult me. Mark Platt, give me a call next time. <laughs> next up, The Lion King announces free 20th anniversary lottery. Yeah, James, in celebration of the show's 20th anniversary, The Lion King will be giving away every single ticket to the evening performance on Wednesday, November 15th via a free lottery. On Sunday, November 12th, between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., you can enter the Lion King lottery at this big event they're having in Times Square or at five public libraries around the city thanks to a partnership with the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment. We will have a list of all of those locations in the Times. You can register in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. At the Times Square event, there will be activities, photo opportunities, autographs with the current Broadway cast, and an up-close look at the show's iconic masks and puppets. James, I'm sure I've said this on here before, and I know I've said it recently on another podcast, but I saw The Lion King on Broadway on my first trip to New York in the summer of 1998, and to this day, it is the most thrilling visual thing I've ever seen 
on stage or in a theater uh, at any point in my theater going life. I agree. There's some really incredible, the, the, the whole, when they make the ma- the face of uh, the father, uh, he's in so you, good. He's in yeah. you scene. This with oh, the stars. Was, oh my God. Oh, so good. It's just, and then to see, and to see the animals walking through the aisles when pride mm-hmm. rock is coming out yeah. of the ground. So good. I mean, so inventive. Um, and, and you know, people can knock the show or the musical or whatever you want to do. But if you haven't seen it, which I'm sure everybody who's listening to this has, it's just one of those things you have to see because it really is breathtaking at times. All right. Uh, Once on this island meets the press. Yeah, James, not much to say here. But yesterday, the cast of the upcoming Broadway revival of Once on this island did their press meet and greet and had some performances. Haley Kilgore, who will be playing Tim Moon, uh, sang, as did Alex Noel, who's playing Asaka. And of course, the always phenomenal uh, Leia Salanga, who's playing Urzuli. Uh, they did all this stuff. They did the meet and greets, answered questions and everything. And there's plenty of coverage out there if you want to see it. And they also have some nice footage of, the, of, of those three singing. So very cool. Uh, the first performance begins at the Circle in the Square Theater on November 9th, ahead of an opening on December 3rd. This is one of the shows that I'll be seeing in town. So I will uh, give a report after I see it or maybe after we after it opens. I think that's probably safer. Okay. Although, although I'm paying for the ticket, so I can really say whatever I want. <laughs> Even when you're not paying for the tickets, you have to find the courage to say whatever you want. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, but it's when you say it is the thing. If you're not paying for the tickets. Ah, uh, I see. Gotta right. wait for that opening night. Uh, let's uh, get to this week's theater throwback. Hi, everybody. This is Daniela Parcel, and I'm here with this week's theater throwback. Last week, I talked about the 1995 revival of Hello, Dolly! and Carol Channing's journey with the show. To hear all about that, you can head over to Today on Broadway for Thursday, October 19th. Today, we're going back to the 100th anniversary of the new Amsterdam Theater. For this very special birthday, on October 27th, 2003, the theater went back to its roots, inviting the few remaining Ziegfeld girls back to the stage one last time. the new Amsterdam is often associated with Disney and the crazy touristry of 42nd Street. But back in the day, it was best known as the home of the Ziegfeld Follies. The theater hosted this review, and the so-called Ziegfeld Girls, every year from 1913 to 1927. By 2003, only a handful of these girls were still alive. As I mentioned, two of them, Barbara Hunter and Doris Eaton, came back to the new Amsterdam for its 100th birthday, where they had performed over 70 years ago in The Follies. Joining them was Charles Eaton, the brother of Doris who also appeared in the 1921 Follies, and Lucille Layton, who appeared in the Ziegfeld Midnight Frolic of 1921. To celebrate their former home, the four performers united on stage for a champagne toast and a program of songs from the Ziegfeld years. It was a short celebration, but a touching look back at the theater's and the performers' roots. Now, for some history of the New Amsterdam. After the Ziegfeld Follies of 1927, the review moved to the Wintergarten Theater, and the New Amsterdam hosted a couple dozen shows for the next decade. In 1937, 
Othello became the last show to play at the New Amsterdam for 60 years. Right after Othello finished its run, the theater was turned into a movie theater. It operated as such until its closing in 1985. Though the building was closed, this was not the end of the New Amsterdam. In the mid-90s, the Walt Disney Company leased and renovated the building, and the theater became the flagship house for Disney on Broadway. The first show to run at the new and improved New Amsterdam was a concert production of Alan Menken and Tim Rice's King David, then The Lion King, Mary Poppins, and currently Aladdin. The New Amsterdam remains one of the oldest Broadway theaters still standing and operating today. Also this week in history, on October 23rd, 1972, the original Broadway production of Pippin opened at the Imperial Theater, and on October 24th, 1974, Equus opened at the Plymouth. On October 25th, 1995, Julie Andrews made her Broadway return in Victor Victoria. This came after over three decades absent from the Broadway stage. On October 25th, 2010, Alfred Urey's Driving Miss Daisy opened at the Golden Theater. And finally, on October 28th, 2012, Hurricane Sandy swept through the Northeast, wreaking havoc on New York City and doing the rare deed of closing down Broadway. all for this week. Thank you for listening. Again, I am Daniela Parcell. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniela Parcell, and I'll be back next week with another theater throwback. Thanks, Daniela. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt, and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Thursday with us. Come on back tomorrow and we'll wrap up the week for you. 